Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Geralt of Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Collateral Damage 3. Silva thought the farm looked idyllic. A large red barn stood on one end of a wheat field, while a charming white home stood on the other end. The wheat stalks were golden yellow, and swayed with the breeze. Near the crops laid a grazing field for sheep and cows, happily munching at the bright green grass. Jeremiah mopped his brow. He and Silva had been on the Hans's trail for a day now, always careful to keep their distance. The tracking was easy, little difficulty in following over forty pairs of marching boots. They had spent the previous night huddled up against a few rocks, with a threadbare blanket around their shoulders. They had eaten what they could scrounge, mainly mushrooms and a few dirty roots. It's windy, Jeremiah said that night, if just to pass the time before bed. I thought the soup would warm me up, Silva said. What I'd give for a pair of thick stockings. I don't suppose you have any on you. Jeremiah shook his head. Never took to sewing, though my sister tried to teach me a few times when I was a kid. It's annoying, and seldom worth the effort. But at the end of it, you'd have a nice pair of thick stockings. Yes, I suppose you would. He scoffed. What a motley group we must look to everyone. That's what I thought the first time I saw you all. I thought that almost exactly. I thought, what a motley group this is. Do you regret being stuck with us? Jeremiah asked. I did, back in the lander. I couldn't fathom why Yana wanted to help you all. But her company made the whole thing bearable. Until I got used to you all. Guess we're an acquired taste, Jeremiah laughed. Since Yana disappeared, though, Silva continued, I've been mulling over something she told us on the way to the Pontar River. How she didn't want us to end up like her. Do you remember? Jeremiah nodded. Said we're all similar, because we've experienced loss. Wind whistled between them. Do you mind if I ask a personal question? Jeremiah asked. I make no promises of answering it, but sure. The craftsman pointed to the scratched silver mirror hanging off Silva's belt. Why do you carry it around like that? It must be annoying having it bang against your leg with every step. Wouldn't it be easier to keep it in your bag? It would be easier, Silva admitted, but then I might forget about it. Is that a bad thing? Yes, my sister bought it for me. It's all I have left of her. Ah. Jeremiah understood, though one thing still nodded his curiosity. But if it's so important, why did you scratch the mirror out? We should probably go to bed, Silva said, and lied down. The next morning, they stumbled across the farm. I suppose, Jeremiah said, staring at it, we should approach. Agreed. 
Silva's stomach rumbled, and she was tired, but she still put on a smile as she approached the farmhouse. Jeremiah did the same. Can I help you? They both spun around and saw a halfling tilling the wheat field. The halfling had curly black hair and stood no more than four feet tall. He mopped his own brow with a yellowed handkerchief and smiled. The craftsman returned the smile and said, Sorry, I didn't see you there. It happens more than you'd think, the halfling said with good humor. Jeremiah's cheeks flushed. I'm sorry, that was rude of me. I didn't mean... Don't dwell on it. What are your names, chums? Greernum, Jeremiah said quickly. And I'm Corinne, Silva said, and regretted it immediately, saying the name still hurt. Nice to meet you, Greernum and Corinne, the halfling said. My name's Marco. You look like you've been on the road for some time. Aye, so we have. Would you like to come in? The missus is just finishing up an afternoon snack. Silva's grumbling stomach gave her away. She grinned and said, We would accept your hospitality with thanks, Marco. Marco led them into his house. It looked as if it was just built last week, with its untouched paint and undamaged wooden frame. The interior was bright and cheery, with large windows in every room to allow ample light. Marco's wife introduced herself as Angela, and they made a light meal of fresh-baked wheat bread and honey. Marco and Angela lit a pipe and poured Silva and Jeremiah a mug of cider. You travelers, then? Marco asked. Aye, came from Tamaria, Silva said. Been on the road a few days. To be honest, we don't know where we are. This was true. Silva tried to picture this region on a standard map of Redania, and could only visualize a fine drawing of forests and farms, and no names to go by. Well, I can help solve that mystery, Angela said, placing her feet on the table. Like all halflings, her feet were large and leathery. You're on the outskirts of Houtsburg. You'll find nothing but peace and plenty here. The name did not ring any bells. That's rare to hear these days, Jeremiah said. I didn't think any town in the Pontar Valley was untouched in the last northern war. Marco's face took on a dark disposition, like he just bit the inside of his lip. We didn't escape unscathed. Houtsburg was raised in the last war, in the first northern war before that. We've had to rebuild twice in the last nine years. But rebuild we did. Angela blew a smoke ring that slowly stretched and warped in the air. But now it seems our luck has changed. Jeremiah ran a hand through his beard. And why's that? What's stopping Nilfgaard from marching in and destroying the town once again? Marco grinned. They can try if they'd like, but they'd be beaten black and blue if they did. And I think the black cloaks know that. Silva raised an eyebrow. Got a Redanian army stationed here? Even better, Angela said. We've got liberty through Union. Silva's stomach dropped, and she thought, based on Jeremiah's hangdog expression, that he was experiencing the same anxious thought. Angela continued, seemingly oblivious to the change of expression. We'd learned to depend upon ourselves these last five years. Built a kind of standing militia. King Radovid didn't mind, long as we paid our taxes. Well, until last year, Marco observed. He and his wife smiled at each other, as if reminiscing about the first time they met. When this emissary comes riding through town, says she was representing someone called the Gutter King, Silva said. Aye, that's it, Marco laughed. I see you've heard of him. Houtsburg is a testament to the strength of his ideals. We broke away from Radovid and Redania once the war with Nilfgaard started. Pledging fealty to one king instead of another? Jeremiah asked. Silva squeezed her hands into fists for a moment, afraid the craftsman wouldn't be able to contain his hatred of Arthur. To his credit, though, Jeremiah posed the question neutrally. 
Silver relaxed when she saw Angela laugh. In a way, I suppose, in that the Gutter King showed us a more self-sufficient path. We govern ourselves now, got a council we elect once a year. I can't imagine King Radovid takes all this well, Silva said. Aren't you afraid of retaliation? Angela shook her head and took her husband's hand. The only thing we fear is having no control over our destiny. I'm sure Radovid is fuming, if news of our rebellions even reached him, but he's too preoccupied keeping the black cloaks at bay. Besides, Marco added, if he tried to retaliate, we'd defend ourselves. The Gutter King left quite a few soldiers stationed in the Old Lord's Keep. We'll fight for him if needed, the same way he fights for all of us. Jeremiah looked to Silva and said, I hope it never comes to that. You have a lovely home here, and we appreciate the meal. We've a mind to go into town for some supplies for our journey. Have you a place to stay? Marco said, his cheeriness returning in an instant. If not, we've got plenty of warm hay in the barn that you can sleep on. As long as you don't mind the scratchiness, Angela laughed. Jeremiah looked to Silva, and she once again got the feeling they were thinking the same thing. If Houtsburg was a gutter rebellion stronghold, then there was a decent chance Eva was taken there. Perhaps Yana, too. She and Jeremiah might need time to get their bearings and formulate a plan. And if the entire town followed the gutter king, then perhaps it would be safer to stay on its outskirts, with less people around. That's most generous, Silva said. We'll take you up on that offer. Thank you. Took the words out of my mouth, Jeremiah said with a grin. Silva wondered if the halfling saw that smile's unsteady foundation. 4. Well, this is a fine fucking mess we're in, eh? Jeremiah said, once they were clear of Marco and Angela's farm. The friendly halfling showed them their lodgings in the red barn, which was spacious and seemed to provide a modicum of privacy. The two of them wasted no time heading towards Houtsburg once the halflings departed. We've been in a fine fucking mess, Jeremiah, Silver replied. This just adds another layer of bullshit. What are the odds Zevo Newlef are in that old keep? Jeremiah asked, pointing to the rundown castle looming on a hill in the distance. Surrounded by gutter rebels, seeing as how the tracks we've been following seem to end here, I'd say it's a safe bet. And what are the odds Yana's in there with them? Silva considered for a moment and said, A little less than a safe bet. I couldn't say why, though. Jeremiah felt the same way. Perhaps it was the amount of time he had spent with Yana, but the craftsman liked to think he had a lightly psychic bond with the sorceress, and could sense when she was near. Silva might have thought that too. And if they are in that keep, Silva said, how are we going to spring them out? I have a plan for that, but we'll have to see if they're there first, Jeremiah said. Do you mind staking out the keep while I gather some supplies? If you catch any of the Hansa patrolling those walls, then we know we're in the right place. Silva nodded. I can do that. And I know this goes without saying, but don't get caught. Silva grinned. I've kept a low profile for longer than you'd think. I'll be fine. Make sure you don't go running your mouth off to the wrong person in town, eh? Don't want to have to free you as well. I'll do my best. I'll meet you back on the farm tonight. They separated before entering Houtsburg. The town looked brand new, from the shops, to the roads, to the wooden signs, and to the homes. The townsfolk carried themselves lightly, but had lined faces, etched from years of war and hardship. Jeremiah wasted no time buying supplies, rope mostly, and a few ingots of iron, nothing that would draw too much attention, and nothing he couldn't carry back to Margot and Angela's farmstead. The merchants were polite and welcoming, 
and the townsfolk gave him a passing glance when he walked past with a pile of lumber loaded up on his shoulder. Jeremiah tried to whistle a tune, but found his lips were dry. Jeremiah! The craftsman froze, and made a show of looking down at his feet, as if he had just stepped in dung. A large man with coal-black hair approached him. He wore a simple white shirt with rolled-up sleeves, exposing a shiny burn scar running up his left forearm. Sir Isaac of the Order of the Flaming Rose. He was with the Redanian delegation at the Mahakam Summit, and served as Jeremiah's connection to the Church of the Eternal Fire while he designed his repeating crossbow for them. Sir Isaac was a true believer, and not particularly pleasant to be around. He had a judgmental air about him that implied everyone who didn't believe what he believed was damned to perdition, and he made it clear from the start he felt Jeremiah was no different. Jeremiah could live with this at first, but a hatred of the night developed when Sir Isaac made it clear, in no uncertain terms, that production of the repeating crossbow was to be under the church's supervision. He ripped control of Jeremiah's invention from him without a second thought. Sir Isaac, it's good to see you, Jeremiah said with a false smile. And you too, Jeremiah. He put a large hand on Jeremiah's shoulder and nodded solemnly. My condolences, of course. Condolences? For what? Ah, I see. Sir Isaac motioned to a tavern down the road. Let's get a drink. Curiosity compelled Jeremiah to follow. He left the timber outside the tavern, and the knight signaled the barkeep to bring them two pints of ale. They sat at a corner table away from the regulars, who laughed and jostled each other as if there wasn't a continental war going on. The barkeep set two frothy mugs on the table. Jeremiah waited for Sir Isaac to take a sip and collect his breath. It looks like I'm the one to share the news with you. I'm sorry about that. I'm sure you'd prefer to hear it from a friend. What is it? Jeremiah snapped. Duke Haggard perished two weeks ago at the Mahakam Pass. Jeremiah could practically see the words floating from Sir Isaac's mouth and piercing his skull, settling deep in his brain like a parasite laying eggs. A blast of sorrow followed, conjuring thoughts of Duke Haggard, the man who always had the loudest laugh in his keep, taking him in, teaching him a trade, and giving him a shot at life, the man who never quarreled with his people when compromise could be had. How? was all Jeremiah could manage to say. Duke Haggard was heading a barricade on the pass between Edirne and Tamaria, well fortified from what I've heard, but a Nilfgaardian force dug in and crushed them. There were no survivors. The craftsman held his arms close to his chest. He spoke quietly. He was alive just a month ago. I saw him at Mahakam. Sir Isaac nodded. I'm sorry, Jeremiah. I spoke with Duke Haggard a few times at the summit. He seemed like a good man. He recalled Duke Haggard doubling the watchman on his estate to keep a teenaged Jeremiah from sneaking out and drinking when he should have been studying his craft. Did he? Did Duke Haggard die bravely? I heard he led the counterattack personally and died in the field. Jeremiah thought he was going to be sick. He held himself tighter. I suppose that's all we can hope for, right? When it's our time to return to the earth? Yes, it is. I heard the Mahakam dwarves came down from the mountain to give him a proper burial. He's at peace now, Jeremiah. Please, take time to collect yourself. All the silence did was fill Jeremiah's head with thoughts of his mentor, weighing his mind down as if he was saddled with stones and drowning. I'm okay, Jeremiah lied. I thank you, Sir Isaac, for telling me. This war is taking a toll on us all. The knight drank. 
Jeremiah did not want to discuss this further, least of all with Sir Isaac. He didn't want to cry in public either. That was something best done in private. So he pivoted. I have a question for you, Isaac, Jeremiah said, in a lighter tone that he hoped would convince the knight to drop the subject. Then I hope I have an answer, Sir Isaac said, sounding eager to change the subject himself. What is it? Memories of Duke Haggard momentarily dissipated as the craftsman thought back to his time in Tarnow, that burnt husk of a town led by Brother Morgan, a rising star in the Church of the Eternal Fire. Specifically, he remembered the conversation he had with Brother Morgan in his tent. Well, I heard that Hierarch Hemelfart died recently. Aye, so he did, Isaac said. May the eternal fire grant him warmth. Yes, may it. And I heard that our friend Mother Lana was being considered to become the new Hierarch and leader of the church. Yes. Jeremiah waited for the knight to say more. Silence brought back the bad feelings. When Sir Isaac didn't, Jeremiah asked, Do you know if she was chosen to become the Hierarch? As a matter of fact, Isaac answered, she has. She took the position not three weeks ago. I, for one, think she has the energy needed to steer the church during these trying times. Jeremiah felt a sensation in his chest, and he wasn't sure if it was joy or anxiety, though he was thankful it wasn't despair over Haggard. He liked Mother Lana very much, and longed for the day when he could meet her again. But that didn't change the fact that she was a member of a religion that Jeremiah did not subscribe to would now be leading said religion, in fact. The craftsman had only met Lana once, back in Kalmec, and that was some time ago. He wondered how she had changed since they last met, and how she would change now that she had an immense amount of power. In truth, Sir Isaac said, I think it was her deal with you that helped secure her position. Your repeating crossbows have been a great boon to the church. Is that so? I'm glad to hear it. Another intolerable silence. Jeremiah drank at a clipped pace, wanting to drain the mug so he could leave. And how is production of the killer repeating crossbow going? I know I left the assembly workers I found in your capable hands when I left Mahakam. Production in Crag Ross is humming along. We've outfitted most of our knights with your design by this point. Sir Isaac looked over his shoulder and whispered, It will make a big difference in the upcoming conflict. Jeremiah lowered his mug. Interest peaked. He knew what the knight was referring to. Upcoming conflict with the Gutter Rebellion, you mean? Sir Isaac nodded. King Radovid is furious at this town's blatant act of rebellion, but doesn't have the soldiery to spare. He had been pleading with Hierarch Hemelfart to send the order, but the Hierarch was already on his way out. Hierarch Lana has wasted no time answering the king's demands. I've been tasked with dismantling that keep on the hill, and I intend to do so with all haste. That's quite a task. I hope you brought an army with you. I have eighty knights at my command, waiting on the outskirts of town. That's more than enough for the rebels here. In an open field, maybe, Jeremiah thought. And if they weren't just reinforced with forty trained soldiers, and a Hansa professional killers. Jeremiah drank, and waited for the question he knew would come. Well, I've shown my hand, for I have nothing shameful to hide, Sir Isaac said. In truth, finding you here is fortuitous. If this isn't the Eternal Fire's working, I don't know what is. The knight paused, then asked, Will you help me and my knights root out the infestation in this town? It sounded tempting at first, and made sense on its face. The knights would provide him and Silva the manpower they needed to destroy the Hansa and save his companions. But, of course, problems would come from this. 
the Church of the Eternal Fire was not the most forgiving of mutants and witches, even less the Order of the Flaming Rose, which served as the Church's fiery sword. If Sir Isaac had his way, Zevo and Silver would be executed along with the rebels, for their affront of simply existing. So Jeremiah said, I'm afraid I must decline. Sir Isaac didn't move, save for the slight flaring of his nostrils. You'd deny a request from the very church that raised you up? Jeremiah chose his next words carefully. My contract was to supply the church with crossbows. I'm under no obligation to be drafted in the church's battles. True. Typically, I believe an action says much about a man. But under these circumstances, it's understandable. Sir Isaac finished his drink and stood up. Do you plan on staying in town long? No, I don't believe so. I'd leave as swiftly as possible. This town is about to become unsafe. I don't wish you any harm. Not after all the good you've done the church. Jeremiah nodded and drained his mug. Now we could leave and grieve in solitude. Thank you for the drink, Sir Isaac, and I appreciate you telling me of Duke Haggard. Sir Isaac nodded and made for the door. Good night, Jeremiah. Jeremiah watched Sir Isaac go. He sat back down and rolled the empty mug between his numbed hands. He tried to remember the last thing he said to Duke Haggard in Mahakam. He wasn't sure what it was specifically, but he knew he didn't leave his mentor in a good spot. He promised Duke Haggard his repeating crossbows, but Sir Isaac was the one who denied him from doing so. My crossbows would have made a difference, Jeremiah thought, certain of that fact. Duke Haggard would still be alive if he had them to defend himself. Jeremiah's stomach roiled, and a burp filled his mouth with an acidic aftertaste. All of this felt unreal, like a passing fancy during a slow afternoon. Jeremiah felt tears soak his eyes, and a choked sob escaped his lips. The craftsman wiped his eyes and nose. He collected his lumber and made his way back to Marco's barn. Jeremiah had some work that needed to be done. The design he'd been working on in his head called to him, to save him from further despair. And if Jeremiah knew anything about himself, it was that nothing wiped his mind clear of all emotions like hard work. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at TalesWitcherPod on X, or at TalesFromTheWitcher.Buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.